Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, the show, well, you know, I I usually describe this show as being about talking through differences, talking across differences. But this week's guest made me realize, as I wind up mentioning to her, that ideally, this show is really about listening through differences. And maybe that's a language and behavior shift we should be making all the time. Like, I'm sure many of us dread the words, we need to talk. It's ominous, terrifying. But what if we brought someone into an important conversation by saying, hey, we need to listen? That's what our guest, Kate Murphy, advocates. Murphy is a New York Times contributor who you have read. A lot of her pieces go viral. You might remember her column about whether your friends actually like you or why we hiccup. But she's here to talk about her new book, You're not listening, what you're missing, and why it matters. Welcome to the show, Kate. Well, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I am very excited to talk to you. Actually, uh, let me rephrase that. I am very excited to listen to you. (laughs) Uh, Talking to you isn't really as much, you know, wouldn't really do much good, I don't think. And that brings me to my first question. (laughs) How did you come to write a book about listening? Well, you know, as a journalist, I listen for a living. So, you know, I'm always interested in listening. But um, but also, you know, I think I've noticed what we've all noticed is um, there seems to be, you know, whether we're conscious or, or, or not conscious of it, that people aren't listening. You know, we've gotten so distracted by our technology, by our noisy modern environment, and by our own, you know, need or our anxiety about selling ourselves and leading the conversation, um, framing the narrative, that we're not listening. And um, it's causing us to be misinformed. It's causing us to be intolerant, isolated, and lonely. And so, you know, I really wanted to call attention to the, the lost art of listening and, and how powerful it is and, and really, frankly, what a joy it is. Your book is full of tidbits about the neurological and psychological and I think even physiological benefits or effects of listening, I should say. I wonder if you can pick out the most um, interesting or surprising effect that being a listener has on someone. Well, you know, I I quote an attachment expert um, 
near the beginning of the book where she talks about those moments of connection when you're listening to someone, you're having a conversation and you're totally lost in the conversation with the other person and you really connect. And we've all had that feeling where, you know, just you just they got you or, you know, or you got them. And um, and we we feel it's it's just a wonderful feeling when you leave the conversation, whether it's, you know, somebody you met at a party or a stranger or a loved one or a friend that you haven't seen in a long time. And 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 this um, attachment expert calls those moments snatches of magic, which is poetic and wonderful. And we can all relate to that. But the thing that was surprising and wonderful to me is when you go to neuroscientists who study listening and study what's going on in our brains at that moment of connection, that snatch of magic, there's actually a syncing up of the neural patterns in the brain of the speaker and the listener. They've hooked up speakers and listeners to fMRI machines while in conversation. And when there's that moment of understanding and of connection, those brain patterns actually sync up. So it's wonderful to have that poetic um, notion of snatches of magic and then to see it, to actually see those brainwaves syncing up. And it's something we all long for. It's, you know, when you're, it's why babies are more in tune to the frequencies of the human voice and look to the nonverbal communication. They're seeking that moment of connection. And, and that's actually evolutionarily what has made us so successful as a species. It's how we've communicated. It's how we've transferred our ideas so we could cooperate, whether it's hunting a woolly mammoth or, you know, sending a man to the moon. It's, you know, all that moment of aha, that connection. And not just listening leading to cooperation, but also to procreation, I think. That's also mentioned in your book. Well, absolutely. I mean, what <laughs> what what is love but, you know, wanting to hear another person's story and wanting to be a part of that evolving story. You know, you can't have, uh, you can't establish or maintain or sustain a relationship without listening. It, I, it comes up in your book, and it's one of the things that I scribbled in the margins, was just about how almost every f- argument in a relationship revolves around listening or not listening, as the case may be. It's true. It's true. You know, you, you hear, you know, couples say, you know, you don't know me at all, you know, and, or, you know, or, or I don't know you at all. And that's, you know, simply a lack of listening. And, and I, I talk about in the book, um, the closeness communication bias. And that's another surprising thing that it's kind of counterintuitive. You'd think that you'd listen most carefully to the people that you're closest to, that, you know, the, pe- the person you love the most, you'd listen to the most. But actually, the opposite is true is we get sort of complacent when we feel so close to someone, we feel like, you know, I already know what you're going to say. And so so you lose touch with the person because we're all changing every day. You and I will be different after our conversation. You know, every, Mm -hmm. every person that you interact with, everything that happens to you during the day changes you. So neither of us is the same as we were yesterday as we are today, and nor will we be the same tomorrow. And so if you stop listening to, you know, the significant people in your life, you'll lose touch with who they are. So the whole thing about being able to finish one another's sentences, that's maybe actually not such a great sign? No, <laughs> it absolutely isn't. 
<laughs> I want to talk about the the effects of bad listening. I guess that's actually there's a word for that, and that's not listening. But mm-hmm. I almost feel like we should invent a category of bad listening, right? Like because there's there's talking over people, right? There is literally not listening, but there's also a kind of not listening well. Am I right? Yeah, I think you're right. And one of the things that I just found so interesting, I interviewed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people on five continents, and I would ask them the question, what makes a good listener? And almost without exception, I would get this deer in the headlights look. You know, there was this Mm -hmm. pause, hesitation. They couldn't tell me. But at the same time, they could tell me very easily what it meant to be a bad listener. Mm -hmm. Things exactly like what you're talking about, interrupting shifting the conversation to themselves, looking around the room, looking at a phone. I mean, and people could rattle that off really easily. And the sad truth of it is, is we have more experience with the latter of not being listened to or, you know, as you say, that category of bad listening versus, you know, really being gratifyingly heard and listened to. And so that really kind of shows you where are we? You know, how did we get here that we can so easily talk about bad listening, but no one can say, okay, this is what it means to be a good listener. And there are physiological effects of not listening, right? Like when we aren't synced up with each other. Absolutely. There's such a cascade of effects. You know, when I talked about those neural impulses linking up, you know, there's chemical responses, you know, the oxytocin, that um, that feel-good um, hormone, that love, they call it the love hormone that makes you feel attached to people. There are all these things that go on. And, you know, it's really, you know, not being listened to. If you talk to people, I mean, it's incredibly painful. It's, you know, it's it brings about just really feelings of isolation and separation and loneliness. And we all know that there's, you know, a worldwide loneliness epidemic uh, at the at this time. And um, and those definitely cause loneliness definitely causes physiological effects. It increases your risk of death more than alcoholism and obesity combined. You, I mean, it's it it increases your risk of death more than smoking fourteen cigarettes a day. So, how can you tell if you're a good or a bad listener? You know, that's interesting because a lot of people will say they're good listeners, and then they read my book and say, "Whoops, I'm not <laughs> as good a listener as I thought." Because again, we don't know. It's not that people are bad or boorish people. It's just we're not taught how to listen. And in fact, our culture actually actually um, conditions us not to listen. But, you know, I mean, signs that you're a bad listener is, you know, if you leave a conversation and you're thinking about how you performed in the conversation and you have no idea about the other person, if you can leave the conversation and you know something new about the other person and you know how the other person felt about what you were talking about, then you're probably a good listener. But more more often the case is you can't answer those two questions. Mm. And, you know, another sign is, you know, if you're continually surprised by other people's, you know, reactions or actions, like you didn't see stuff coming, that mm-hmm. that's another sign that, you know, maybe you're not that great a listener. But the good news is you can become a good listener, right? That oh. that's actually, it, it, it struck me that that's actually one of the easier things to change about oneself, perhaps. I, that you can learn how to listen. I like that you picked up on that because it is. It is, you know, it's a skill. 
And like any skill, it degrades if you don't use it often enough. And once you start practicing, you can get really good at it. And, you know, the studies show that, you know, motivated listeners are great listeners. You know, they just need the motivation and there's part of the awareness. Of course, you know, in my book, I give a lot of tips about how to be a better listener and how to not be a bad listener, as you were talking about. But, um, but yes, anyone can be a, a, a great listener if they just, you know, take the time and, and put, in, put in those hours, just like practicing anything else. I mean, of course, like, like any sport or playing a musical instrument, some people have more natural ability and some may, <laughs> well, and some may have to try harder, but everyone can benefit from making the effort. And it's definitely a skill that's, that's you know, once you start doing it, you realize, you know, it's, it's really rewarding in and of itself. So that is a motivating factor. It really, it, it's this cascade of effects as you realize your conversations get better. You're more connected to other people. You realize what's going on. I actually... I was just came back from the UK touring and um, was on a few radio shows where they had call in and people, mm-hmm. you know, one guy called in, I accused the publicist of like having it be a setup caller, but, you know, people would come up to me, you know, whether it was in reading or calling in these call in shows and say, you know, things like, you know, that they hadn't had a job in a couple of years. And once they learned how to listen, you know, they, mm. they started to get a job or they started to get relationships or they were so much less lonely. And it just shows how it can really transform your life. It's incredibly powerful. I was thinking about that cascade of effects and the ways that you talk about how listening, the act of listening, especially good listening, quality listening, can literally change your brain waves. And I remembered that when I was in rehab... <laughs> We had to do um, what they called reflective listening. That was like part of our group therapy was to when someone shared, we went around the circle then and everyone had to kind of give their reflect back at the person who had shared what they thought they had shared. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And how did that affect you? Well, I was thinking, of course, that just it made me a better listener. I mean, and I didn't really think kind of beyond that. But it occurred to me that there's actually like really good scientific reasons you would specifically have addicts and alcoholics get better at listening. Absolutely. Because they call alcoholism, for instance, a disease of loneliness. It's true. So I think I think that they were whether they knew all the science or not, the people, you know, the counselors What they were doing with having us practice that was having us practice being in relationship to other people in general and being vulnerable ourselves. I think that's very true. I Actually, there was a woman who was a facilitator for AA who came to one of my readings in D.C., and she said that very same thing. I I think it's, I mean, it's incredibly valuable. It's almost as if they were training you to listen. So you could connect better and also perhaps listen to yourself better. So mm-hmm. you didn't feel, you know, lonely and didn't feel like you needed to reach for something else. Exactly. And there's also when you go to AA, all the old timers will tell you the old saw, which I think is in your book as well. Like, you know, you have two ears and one mouth. Use them accordingly. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And talking about the good listening part, um, Part of good listening isn't just hearing another person talk. It's also hearing a silence. 
How, how is hearing a silence or letting a silence lay a part of good listening? Well, you know, it's something we have such a hard time with in Western cultures. You know, we call it dead air. I mean, how pleasant does that sound? And we're mm. so quick to want to fill that silence, you know, almost as if we're afraid of it. And so, you know, we're thinking about what we're going to say before the other person finishes. So, you know, that so we can leap in as soon as they start to trail off. They've done studies where the gaps in conversation between where the speaker leaves off and the next person picks up is usually a negative number, which means someone starts talking before the other person's finished talking or the pause is so short, it's the blink of an eye. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you can't possibly have been listening to the full content of the other person's narrative if you're ready to jump in that quickly. And so what's wonderful about silence is you've let the other person finish and you've also given them an indication and whether they pick up on it consciously or subconsciously that you really listen to the end and now you're considering what they said during this pause and then you will respond. In fact, I, I, I interviewed someone who was a career diplomat, in fact, and he said that he married his wife because she pauses a moment after he finished speaking and he can really tell she's thinking about it. And he said this was, this wife was his second go around and the first one didn't work because there wasn't much <laughs> listening going on. But it's, I mean, it's very true. And and it's also, you know, I think, you know, people need to give themselves a break because, you know, we're all, you know, anxious to, to be liked and to, you know, say the right thing. And so, you know, we are ready to quick leap in. And, and it's okay if when someone finishes and you're not quite sure what to say, to say, let me think about that. Or, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> Because that only, you know, that not only conveys to the other person, I'm really thinking about what you said. This is important. And also, it's it's giving yourself, honoring yourself and, and that you might not be sure yet. And so you're giving yourself a moment to reflect and then respond. I laughed while you were talking. That was scoffing. And I almost feel like my need to tell you that I was, like, my scoffing was like, I was trying to indicate how how hard that would be to let yes. silence lay. <laughs> well, the people that are the most comfortable in their skins are the ones that have the easiest time doing that. I think I talk in the book about, um, you know, particularly people in very powerful positions like, you know, Tim uh, Cook at Apple. He's known for leaving those long gaps in silences. And as a result, you know, people start babbling. Mm. You know, they start giving him more information than they had anticipated because they get so uncomfortable in that silence. So, you know, that's part of, you know, when we're talking about, you know, listening as a skill, you know, you practice that. You, you get better at holding that silence and being okay with it. I mean, I have to say myself, it took me far too long to realize in interviewing people that, you know, I didn't need to say anything, you know, just to let it lie for a minute and, you know, and see what people will say. Because a lot of times when people pause in conversation, it's not so you can leap in, it's because they're thinking for a moment or they're trying to manage their emotions. And if you just allow people to continue, you'll get so much more um, information and you'll also both relax because it doesn't, you know, then it's not sort of this conversational competitiveness of, you know, jumping, leaping back and forth where, you know, there's just more ease. It's, it's really a wonderful thing once you get comfortable with it. And then the other person can kind of relax, too. Well, we're going to take a quick break so people can listen to some ads. <laughs> 
And we'll be right back. Quip, the makers of the Quip electric toothbrush, want you to know the one single discovery that matters the most for your dental care. It is simply this. If you have good habits, you are good. I presume they don't mean like good as in like you are good morally. I think it means like you're just taken care of. If you have good dental habits, that is one area of your life where you know you're good. Good habits, that means brushing for two minutes twice a day and flossing regularly no matter what brand you use. But Quip makes it simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide to a full and even clean. The Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough. I don't know about you, but I usually use like three yards a night, which is too much. Plus, Quip delivers free brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping so your routine is always right. Join over three million healthy mouths and get Quip today starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com friends right now, you will get your first refill for free. You'll get that floss, which I need to start getting because of the whole three yards thing. But you will get your first refill for free at getquip.com slash friends. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash friends. Have you heard about this company making stylish shoes for women and girls out of recycled plastic water bottles? Oh, and they're crazy comfortable and fully machine washable. Rothy's has grown to a most-loved gotta-have-them brand. It's no surprise they have over 1,000 nearly perfect reviews. They're stylish, sustainable, comfortable, washable, all that you need in a pair of shoes. And they're the perfect flats for life on the go. I have a pair of the flats. I'll be honest, I do not wear them as much as I wear their kind of uh, high-top sneakers. Uh, They have sneakers that are made out of recycled water bottles and have wool. They are perfect for this time of year in Minnesota where the weather swings wildly from, uh, let's just say, above freezing to below freezing. That's not, to you, that might not sound like wild swings, but here in Minnesota it is. So it's very mushy. And I can just throw them in the washer. I can go out, walk the dog in the mess, throw them in the washer, good as new. They do come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns, and they're available in a range of styles like those high tops, loafers, points, and more. Rothy's are seamlessly knit using thread made from plastic water bottles, so they're ultra-comfortable as soon as you slip them on. There is a zero break-in period for these shoes. Another major bonus, as I said, machine washable. Every time you need a refresh, you toss in the washing machine. It's like getting a fresh pair of shoes every day. Rothy's owns and operates their own manufacturing workshop where they prioritize sustainability every step of the way. Plus, Rothy's ships directly to you in the actual shoebox. There's no, like, package outside the shoebox. These are feel-good flats in more ways than one. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash WFLT. Go to rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash WFLT to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, sustainability, these are the shoes you've been waiting for. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
So I was struck by that Tim Cook anecdote in your book as well. And the way that you describe what what he does is sometimes people start babbling to fill that silence. And it did occur to me that silence can be a weapon too. Like, I'm not sure if I like the idea of being silent in order to get people to be nervous and babble, which is something that I know other reporters who do that. Like, that is a, a, a trick that they will teach you in journalism school, is to just be quiet, and eventually someone will say something they didn't mean to say. But that, is, that seems like a power move, not necessarily something that has to do with being a good and sympathetic listener. No, I, I totally agree with that. I did not go to journalism school, so I did not know that. So um, <laughs> so I will have to say I agree with you. There's a big difference between, you know, being silent with and being silent to. And, mm. you know, I'm advocating being silent with, not silent yeah. to. It's like the difference between, you know, laughing with and laughing at. You know, it's a big difference. And so certainly I'm not advocating using it as a weapon. And certainly, you know, when I've been silent in interviews, it wasn't to make the other person uncomfortable. It was just to allow them to continue, to not let my own anxiety about keeping the conversation going, you know, get in the way of the other person expressing themselves, not to make them uncomfortable. Because, you know, then you're not going to get good information. If someone's nervously talking, you're not going to get good information. So, you know, like I said, having not been to journalism school, I I would disagree with that. (laughs) Well, I didn't go to journalism school either, but that's just something that I've heard from other people (laughs) who've gone to journalism school. So maybe they don't teach that at all. But it is something I've heard from other journalists. And it is is something that I've never liked the idea of, I, I guess. There is a difference. I think the idea of laughing with and laughing at and silence uh, with and silence to, those are good comparisons. I think that you can tell the difference when someone is being with you in your silence and when someone is like using that silence. I agree. I, I mean, there's a huge distinction and you can feel it. But, you know, I, mm-hmm. I share your discomfort. I'm, I'm not advocating um, <laughs> it being using it as a power ploy. Well, let's talk about power a little bit. You uh, talk in your book a fair amount about the differences between women and men when it comes to listening. Like women, and let's sort of, I don't want to have an argument about whether or not it's uh, nature or nurture. Let's just talk about some of the data that exists, which is that right now in our culture, studies find that women are now, correct me if I'm wrong, quote unquote, better listeners. Well, this came up again and again in my interviews, you know, whether it's anecdotal or the studies is that, you know, people, both men and women have this idea that women are better listeners than men. And, you know, and I certainly don't want to you know, get into the argument of nature versus nurture because, you know, I, I'm not equipped to, I mean, I can just tell you what the research is, but I, right. you know, I'm not going to come down on it one side or another, mainly because, you know, I know a lot of women that are terrible listeners and a lot of men that are fantastic <laughs> listeners. I mean, it's like saying, you know, all men are taller than women, you know, to, to say that, you know, all women are better listeners than men. But, you know, there there is this sense that, you know, women listen more for um, personal information or, you know, connecting relational information, whereas men listen more for factual information, just data. And as a result, you know, women's conversations are more interesting. I mean, the data also shows that we 
become more attuned in conversation, men and women, if personal stuff is discussed. So, you know, mm-hmm. women have this, you know, reinforcing, they, they listen for certain things that are interesting and therefore are more inclined to listen because they get more interesting things. And so, you know, it, whether that's nature or nurture where, you know, men are raised not to, you know, be concerned with other people's emotions and to sort of man up in conversation, or if it's something there's also, you know, research that shows little girls are just more in tune with the human voice and more in tune with, um, nonverbal um, parts of communication, which, you know, a lot of listening has to do with noticing those other aspects of a very, the minority, the minority of the information you're getting when you're listening to somebody is from the actual words. And you mentioned in your book that there's so you tell some anecdotes about like uh, male CEOs that turn to their female uh compatriots to get a read on a situation, something like that, that they consider the women around them to be better at sussing up other people than they are. Absolutely. I heard that repeatedly from um, venture um, investors who they were from venture capital firms who would that when they would be assessing founders to see whether or not, you know, this founder was a good person to put their money behind. And they would they would often turn to the female partner that just, you know, she was better. I, I also, you know, I, there was also the example that I gave of a commercial real estate um, uh, investor who um, owned a bunch of buildings and he would always send his, you know, female colleagues to interview prospective tenants because she just had a better read of whether or not this was going to be a good tenant and whether they were going to pay their bills. So the thing that I couldn't help but think when I was reading those anecdotes and some of the studies, in fact, about women having some uh, uh, better listening skills than men was that if listening is such a great skill, if women are better at reading other people than men, if Tim Cook is a is one of the signs of his skills is he's he lets silence lay, how come women aren't running things? Well, I mean, that gets much more complicated than just well, listening. Well, I know, but like, it's, it seems <laughs> like the listening skill hasn't really meant it, like... It just it hasn't wound up being something that leads to agency. I, you know, I would argue otherwise because I think, you know, like most of the um, people who lead CEOs who lead um, organizations um, tend to be very good listeners or at least were good listeners at some mm. part that got them ahead. Because, you know, people confuse, you know, because they think, okay, this person's a wonderful communicator and can really connect and can really motivate and can really lead. You can't do that unless you know your audience. And the ability to communicate, to compel, to be compelling, to be even interesting is to actually know what will resonate with whoever you're speaking with. And that involves listening and to know their motivations and to know what their hot button issues are, what they're willing to give up, you know, what they're, what they're going to walk away from that kind of thing. And so, you know, maybe it's not as outwardly as apparent, but you know, when we think of leaders who have lost their way, it's when they've stopped listening. It's when they've lost touch with either their employees, with their customers, that is the measure of success. And so, you know, there are a lot of other things that go into getting ahead and a lot of other cultural things that might be getting in the way of women getting ahead. But, um, but, but it's not that 
you know, the men are, are all poorer listeners. It's just, you know, the ones that are doing well are actually the better listeners that are, you know, have more of this female trait. If it, if, if it even is a female trait, which I'm not convinced of, I'm not going to argue either way. Yeah, I guess we're getting I, I I guess I am getting in a little bit to the socialization aspect because I did start to think about how this skill of empathetic listening that women tend to have, it tends to be associated with as a feminine trait. If it is in some ways an adaptive skill because women have to understand what men want because men are the ones in power. Like, if there is a certain degree that people who are not centered, like people who are marginalized, like, they have to pay a lot more attention to people with privilege than people with privilege have to pay to them. You know, that could be true, or their anxiety could be such that they don't listen as well. And so it does keep them from um, advancing. So, you know, you could argue both sides of that. And I was just curious, like you do talk about the studies that have to do with gender and listening. Are there any studies about race and listening or any other kinds of, you know, marginalization and its effect on listening? I did not find any. Huh. Interesting. But generally, you know, the 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 literature on listening is is not as much as I would like. I mean, <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is, you know, how students listen to teachers, which bears little resemblance to what the kind of listening we do in our everyday life. And so Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, like listening in general, it's sort of, it's neglected, you know, not only in academia, but just in our everyday lives that it's just, you know, it's taken for granted. Hmm. I want to get back. I I guess I've just been thinking about power because the other thing that, um, the neon sign that went off in my brain. We were talking about um, how stopping listening is something that happens uh, to to leaders um, who fail, uh, who fall from grace. That the, the leaders who stop listening um, have a harder time keeping their leadership space. Do you think that President Trump is an exception to that rule, or is he secretly a great listener? You know, I don't know because I I haven't spent time with him. So I, you know, I really couldn't tell you. But, you know, I mean, if you do talk about how he knows how to read an audience and, Mm. you know, perceive what is going to motivate, as they say, his base, um, then, you know, people could argue both sides of that. It depends on, I guess, you know, who he's listening to. And so, you know, and and how well. Um, Mm. I... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he he's also the one who said that his, you know, primary consultant is himself. So <laughs> um I, you know, having not spent time with him, you know, I don't I don't think I could really come down one side or another, but he's certainly, you know, like all of us, a very complicated character. And, you know, certainly, you know, it's not that okay, you're globally a good listener, um because mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, may listen to a certain person but not listen to others, or they may listen in certain situations but not in others. And um, I mean, it, it, it's to our benefit to listen to as many people in as many different situations as we possibly can to, you know, expand ourselves and, and connect with people and really just understand the world. But, you know, that's not, okay, you're a good listener in every situation is, is not usually how it happens. That 
brings up another neurological point from your book, which I really loved, which is there's a neurological reason that you should listen to news from a lot of different outlets. Do you want to explain that? Oh, yeah. I thought that was fascinating as well. Um, They um, looked at... um, it's, it was a wonderful study by um, Yuri Hassan at Princeton University, where he had um, two sets of people um, look, read a um, short story, the exact same short story. Um, it was a J.D. Salinger short story. And um, one cohort, they he told um, that one of the main characters told them a detail about one of the main characters that had to do with, you know, somebody's being cheated on by their wife. And in one cohort, they said that the wife was a cheater. And in the other cohort, they said that the man was just, you know, crazy jealous and was crazy and um, just the wife was as faithful as she could be. And then they looked at these people's uh, neural brainwaves when they read, subsequently read the story after being primed with this little bit of information, this one detail. And the researchers could tell who thought the wife was a cheater and who thought she was faithful just by looking at their neural patterns. So it actually will shape, you know, what your preconceived notions are will shape how you think. And so you will receive the exact same information and interpret it incredibly differently. And so that's just one detail in a short story. Think think about what is happening when someone has a steady diet of Fox News versus CNN. You know, they will receive the same information, but interpret it entirely differently. Their brainwaves will, will send a different neural pattern than the other person. So it's really interesting. And so it just shows it's to our benefit to listen to as many different news sources, listen to as many different opinions, because then you, you, if you don't, it's like you're, um, you know, a computer circuit board where everything is just, you know, being routed through one single circuit when you have all this other capacity that you could be using. Another thing they taught us in rehab mm-hmm. is that um, those neural pathways are like... Um, trails in a forest and they can get ground into being mm-hmm. really deeply mm-hmm. and the more you do one thing the more you think one thing the deeper that rut gets mm-hmm. and the harder it is to break out of it and i imagine that is applicable to this listening to only one kind of news idea as well that it becomes harder to even consider another point of view absolutely and the other thing we have working against us is um, what is happening to us just in the fear centers of our brain and the primitive part of our brain when our beliefs brought about by those ruts in our brain that you were talking about, when those beliefs are challenged, then what re- how your brain reacts, it reacts as if you're being chased by a bear. You, know, hmm. you, you go into this fight um, fight, flight, or, or freeze um, mode. And when you're in that mode, listening is not happening. You know, you're not going to stop and say, well, okay, tell me, Mr. Bear, why are you chasing me? That's, <laughs> you know, that's that's not going to happen at that moment. And how you overcome those, and that that fear is like earplugs. You, you're not hearing after that. And how to overcome that is to engage higher order thinking. Um, and mm-hmm. that is what listening is. To be really consider people's motivation. Why is this person telling me this? How did they land where they landed? How did I land where I landed, in my opinion? What might they know that I don't know? 
And you may in the end, you know, not agree with them, but you'll have a greater understanding. And so when you respond to them, you'll know, you know, their level of understanding. You'll know what motivates them. And so when you talk to them and if you need to reach compromise, you'll be able to better craft your message. So it's, you know, it's sort of this virtuous circle of, you know, communication of listening and then being able to respond in a way so the other person listens to you. It's funny that that reminds me of something that comes up on this show uh, fairly often because this show is about talking through differences or maybe I should start saying listening through differences. Mm -hmm. Um, I get people asking me all the time about what to do with a loved one or a friend who holds opinions that they find offensive, repellent, damaging, some range there. And even strangers, like a, a coworker who says, who makes a racist joke or, or has, says a sexist comment, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that I usually advise is if it's a safe space to do so, if you feel like you can do this, the thing to say is, why do you think that? Lovely. And it's magic. I swear to God, that is a magic incantation because this happens nine times out of 10 when I've done that. And I, I'll be honest, I'm human. I don't always remember when I get angry at my father-in-law. Sometimes that goes out the window. Um, <laughs> I was wondering who you had in mind. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he provokes my fight or flight response sometimes. Sometimes we, we do well, but, but this has happened with him too, because unfortunately I do get to practice, which is that if you ask someone, if someone says something that you find really hard to hear, right, and something that you want to argue with them about, if you say, why do you think that? And then listen. And I I actually usually find the explanations fascinating, by the way. Like how someone gets to an opinion, especially a wrong opinion, in my opinion, (laughs) is really interesting, right? Like where did that information come from? How did that point of view come to be? So if you ask them and then they really listen, this is the magic. That person will ask you, what do you think? Absolutely. It's crazy. It's, it's not just, crazy. I mean, it's what we've all forgotten I, how to do. I, it's exactly know, it's so, so simple. It's so, it's such a, it's, it's so dependable. Like, it feels like magic every time it happens. Well, you know, as I say in the book, you know, because uh, that's what a lot of people do ask is, well, how do I get people to listen to me? The, the book is about you not listening, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> and it, but, you know, it, it works the other way. I mean, the surest way to get someone to listen to you is to listen to them. And mm. this is not only because human beings are reciprocal. We like to return courtesies. It's just how we're wired. But on top of that, you know, once you learn, why do you think that? It really changes how you approach the other person because then you understand where they're coming from, whether you agree or disagree. It, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to hold on to hostilities when you understand the other person. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, you, you can, you can disagree with their ideology, but you, you're not going to think, okay, this person's just plain evil. You know, mm-hmm. th- there's a reason why they landed where they landed. And, and like you, I'm fascinated. I want to know how they got there. And it's not because they're evil. It's because of just their experiences, their influences. They have reasons for why they got there, just like you have reasons for why you got where you are. So 
You mentioned being on book tour, right? Mm-hmm. And that means that you are getting interviewed a lot. Yes. Do you find it difficult not to judge the interviewer? No. I, actually, that hadn't even crossed my mind, actually. <laughs> I, what I find difficult is all the talking. I'm more of a listener. And so, you know, I'm, I'm so believe. And just like when you say, that's, it's magic. And I really, I feel so many people and, you know, just through my own work, which is one of the reasons that provoked me to write this book, is it just became clear that there are a lot of people suffering because they aren't able to listen. They're so disconnected. They feel so lonely and they don't even know why, mm-hmm. you know, why they're leaving a party feeling just sort of drained and empty. And, you know, why there's that hollow feeling, you know, after a dinner party or just even going out to a restaurant where you couldn't hear the other person because the restaurant was so noisy, you know, and it's just, you know, not having that connection. And so, you know, that's what I'm trying to get over myself of my disinclination to speak and to Mm -hmm. listen is to really share that, to kind of help people get over themselves, which is, you know, we've all, and, you know, and get over our phones and get over our, you know, worry about leading the conversation or worrying about that pause when someone, you know, finishes speaking. That it's just, it can make your life so much better. And I love, you know, what you just said. You know, when you're talking about judging, I mean, just you even sharing that about with your father-in-law, that's so interesting. I mean, I'm glad to know that. I mean, and just how that's affected you. It's I've been learning all about other people's listening lives. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's a gift you've given to me. So, you know, I'm I'm still able to listen during these interviews, but yeah, it's it's a little it's hard for me. I'm I'm an introverted person, so that part's hard for me. But no, I'm I don't I don't believe, I mean, uh, that I'm conscious of that I'm judging anyone. I'm I'm fascinated. Because I was going to ask you how I'm doing. You're doing a great job. (laughs) (laughs) I want to get back to this introvert um, issue. And maybe even this goes back to um, the power differentials that occur in conversation and what that means for a silence. Because, I mean, there are times when one should speak up, right? Yes. There are times when you're not listening, you're getting steamrolled. Yes. Well, and certainly my book is not advocating that you need to be hold, held hostage by a conversational narcissist. I mean, I have a whole, <laughs> I have a whole chapter about when to stop listening. You know, I you know there are only so many hours in the day, and and you right. you need to make choices. And certainly, you know, as a journalist, you know, I have to make choices about you know who's reliable, who's dependable, who's you know who's honest, who really knows. And um, so, you know, we all have to make choices in our everyday lives about, you know, and that's part of the power of being a listener, a good listener, is is knowing your boundaries and knowing, okay, I've I've, I've heard enough now. Yeah, and and women do a lot of that emotional labor. That's that's another thing about women being quote unquote better listeners, is that in a relationship, often it's the woman in a heterosexual relationship. Uh, it's it's the female counterpart that winds up doing all the listening. And sometimes you have to, I think, ask to be listened to. That's another part of this, is to recognize when you are not being listened to. 
I, I would agree with that. I'm not sure I would agree that women were, are always the better list. I mean, the ones that are listening. <laughs> there may be a or lot I of... I don't mean always. I shouldn't say always. I, I definitely didn't mean always. Well, you know... But it, way- is a, it is a part of being female in this particular culture. I think that it's expected and we are culturized to do a lot of that emotional labor. Well, there's a difference between, you know, being quiet, you know, while someone's mansplaining and listening. Right. You know, right. there's, you know, you're not necessarily listening, but, you know, I... <laughs> You know, I, you know, recently, I, I hope she's not listening to this. I don't know that we'll keep this, but, but we, you know, where there was somebody who was telling me that, you know, she's often told she's a good listener. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is somebody who her husband cannot get two words out before, mm-hmm. you know, she starts answering with. Her. So, you know, people can say the stereotype goes both ways, you know, where the woman will not stop talking and keeps interrupting or, you know, she's the one who has to be silent. So I'm, I don't, I don't know that I'm te- terribly sold on those stereotypes, but I, um, I, I do think you're absolutely right that, you know, if you feel like you're doing all the listening and the other person is not, you know, it, this is reciprocal. And so if you're not being listened to, particularly, you know, if it's an intimate relationship, um, that there, you, you need to say something and say, mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel like you're listening to me. Okay. Well, this was lovely. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I enjoyed your book and best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for helping me get the word out. I really appreciate it. And that is it for the show. I realized recently that it's been a while since I talked to the super fans who listen to the end of the show. So, hey, super fans, I'm talking to you. You might be interested to know that we have new merch in the Crooked Store. Uh, T-shirts and little bags and uh, for pencils. These are the two things that I chose to have as merchandise. Um, The pencil bags simply say trying on them, which could have been my motto all through my schooling is probably still my motto today. And then there's the shirts. The shirts simply say, as I always remind you, please take care of yourselves. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. A car is never just a car. Kelly Blue Book knows it's so much more than that. It's your commuting chariot, your road trip refuge, your I just need a reason to get out of the house. Your car is there for everything. And for everything car, there's Kelly Blue Book. Need a new set of wheels? Price it on Kelly Blue Book. Problem under the hood? Fix it with Kelly Blue Book. Can another car do the job better? Trade it or sell it on Kelly Blue Book. We're here mile after mile, moment after moment. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com. Visit kellybluebook.com to get the journey started.